walking to Emmaus, visiting with his brethren there, and then making his way back to Jerusalem and appearing among his disciples. I'm reading from Luke chapter 24, beginning with verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations Beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. This part of Luke's record of the Resurrection Day events is full of wonders, full of wonder as all the rest that we've been dealing with so far this morning. It's worth surveying very carefully because of what it says about the risen Christ. And with that in mind, I just would ask you to notice the six evidences that we see here of the truth regarding Christ's resurrection and that this was indeed Jesus the Christ, risen from the dead, up from the grave, and standing in their midst. First, he knew who they were, and he knew where they were. There is an instant familiarity among them. When he appears in their midst, they know it's him, He knows it's them. It's obvious. Secondly, he knew their minds and hearts. And that's something that only Christ can do. And he was aware of what was in their hearts and in their minds at the moment. He bore the marks of his sacrifice. They were marks and wounds in his flesh. He demonstrated that he was not an apparition or a ghost or some sort of spirit, but it was he himself. Fifthly, He reminded them of his words and then opened their understanding. It wasn't somebody else's words that he he reminded them of. He reminded them, these are the words I have spoken with you the whole time I was with you up to this moment. And now I reiterate them again. And sixthly, he recommissioned them to serve. Now, with those proofs in mind, I want you to look more particularly at verses 46 through 48 with me. And he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. 
Now some push this part of the narrative forward 40 days and suggest that Luke sort of confounded here this meeting on the night of his resurrection and what he says just prior to his ascension. Now that is possible, uh, but it's not probable, I don't think, for several reasons. First and foremost is that he is writing under the inspiration of God the Holy Spirit. And while Luke might be inclined to confound two separate events, I don't believe the Holy Spirit would have that problem. Secondly, it's so unlike all the rest of Luke's testimony. He is precise and he describes times and personalities and situations with care elsewhere. So it's out of character for him to have just sort of confounded this here. And lastly, there's no reason why the Lord would not have spoken in these terms from that night until the day of his ascension. During that 40-day period, this was his message. As he opens their understanding, Jesus points their attention to three things certified by the scriptures. His death, his resurrection, and that there should be a proclamation of repentance and forgiveness of sins in his name throughout the world. The word of God has a wonderful way of calming the heart. This was an agitated group, beloved. They were already suffering emotionally and spiritually before Jesus came into their midst. And you can imagine what it was like for him to suddenly appear there. And his sudden appearance, we're told by Luke, produced terror. They were ready to flee. They were ready to run from the room. They were alarmed with great fear. They were agitated or all astir inside. And they were awestruck at his sudden presence in their midst. Jesus reins them in from that unnerving condition by opening their understanding and feeding them with his word. It is as if he says here, there's no reason to be unhinged. Everything is just as God in his word has said it would be. The suffering, the resurrection, the proclamation, these were all spoken of and foretold in the word of God. And they are all threaded together. And everything written about him and the prophets and the Psalms, he says, must be fulfilled. He must suffer. In Isaiah 50, verses 5 through 6, it says, The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. And we believe that's the opening of the ear that was done to, to declare somebody a servant. I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. He must suffer. Matthew Henry says all things must be fulfilled, even the hardest, even the heaviest, even the vinegar. He could not die till he had that, because he could not till then say, it is finished. He must suffer. Then secondly, he must rise the third day from the dead. Psalm 16.10, David speaking in the name of the Messiah says, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. He was death's plague. 
and the grave's victor in every real and substantive way. They couldn't hold him. They couldn't impair him. He moved freely from Emmaus to Jerusalem. He was touchable. He could eat and drink freely. Death was rendered, as Baxter says, a disarmed enemy. It was done with in regards to him. Baxter goes on to say, It being impossible that death should hold him, and having conquered that which seemed to conquer him, it no more has dominion over him. But he has the keys of death and of hell. And ever since, so you have his suffering, his resurrection, and ever since then, his disciples must proclaim repentance and remission of sins in his name. This is Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Beside me there is no God. And then in verse 8 he says, Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. This is what we're continuing to do today. When Jesus used this term to proclaim that this had to be proclaimed, it was understood in a very real circumstance because heralds were a regular part of everyday life. The people who went out to make proclamation. He was the one who had the duty of making known a proclamation that had, and he had to do it soberly, gravely, formally, and authoritatively. Often he was the official voice of the people in power. And what was said was to be announced as something that was to be listened to and believed and followed. His very demeanor of the one who was to proclaim these things was to convey that to do otherwise than to do what was said would be dangerous. All over the world, beloved, churches that once proclaimed the things that we've been talking about and seeing about this morning have taken up another message, leaving men, women, and children to fester and die in their sins. They reduce and sanitize the, the nature and the intent of Christ's suffering. And they deny his resurrection. In the end, they even dare to make it seem like it's an inconsequential matter. The corrupt form of the gospel is presented as something that might be good for you. But if you choose something else, that'll be okay too. It's inconsequential whether you accept this message or not. And they claim to be speaking in the name of Christ. Jesus says just the opposite here, beloved. You reject him and his gospel, and it will be your ruin. Because the same Jesus is coming again in flaming fire, Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not inconsequential. It has the greatest and most serious consequences. 
They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. And he has witnesses to his death and resurrection. He has a vast array of witnesses. Look at you. Look at you. Do you see the power of your testimony in this matter? You're young and you're old. You come from a variety of cultures and backgrounds. We had messages this morning on this theme, on the proclamation of these things from a man from Brazil, a man from Korea, and men from this country. All with the same message. You have men, women, boys, and girls. Some are highly educated, and others are just beginning to learn what it means to be a Christian. Some of you come from a rich heritage of covenant faith, tracing your family's testimony back generations. Some of you are the first to believe. Some have been Christians all their lives, while others are new believers. But we all have one conviction, one faith. We all believe that Jesus suffered for us on the cross at Calvary, and that on the third day he rose from the dead, and now he lives. And all of us are witnesses to that. We have this great voice of testimony of faith and confidence in the Lord. Young Christian here believes Jesus died for him and rose again. And so does the venerable Alex. Juliana knows it and believes it. And so does Zona. Thankfully, there are also churches all over the world which have served as heralds today. And we join with them. And we proclaim to all with a sense of seriousness and gravity and with the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who says to you, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and of Hades. We say in his name and by his authority, repent, repent, and find in him the remission of all your sins. Turn away from every idol and every sin and look to Jesus, the risen Savior, the risen Redeemer, the one who lives. In 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 20, Paul says, In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead for as in Adam all die so also in Christ shall all be made alive that's our witness to the Lord Jesus Christ that's our testimony we have one testimony among us and that testimony is that he lives let's pray Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this record of Luke's that takes us through this whole day, the day of resurrection, when our Savior came up from the grave, when he tore the bars away. 
walked among his people, taught them, and assured them that it was he himself who was risen from the dead. And Father, how we thank you for the grace that has brought that message down to our day. For all the witnesses who have gone before us from all different cultures and backgrounds, Lord, all different situations, bearing testimony to the fact that they know that with repentance and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and his death on the cross comes the remission of sins. And after he paid that price, he rose again to live and to bring salvation to all who believe. Father, we thank you that that witness has been preserved to our day, and we pray that we might carry it out into this dark and dying world for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the blessing of men and women. We thank you, Father, for your love to us, and we thank you for this great message. He lives. We thank you for it in Jesus' precious and holy name, that name which is above every name. Amen.